and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Bryce Simon is in the building. Bryce What's Simon. Up? What's up, of, Sam? Oh, my God. Just a, just a great dude. I'm so excited to have Bryce on. Uh, Bryce, first time on the show. I'm pumped for, I'm pumped for you to be here. It's going to be great. I was just tweeting out, um, making my first, and then in quotations, hopefully not only appearance on the Game Theory <laughs> podcast. Hopefully, I perform well. I'm a long time. I tell you, I'm a long time listener. This, this is a little bit. Just to, let me fanboy just a little bit, Sam. Oh no, this is a little <laughs> bit of a bucket list thing for me, man. Like I've only been doing this media stuff for a couple years, and the fact you asked me on, it's truly, truly an honor. You do incredible work. Oh, well, Bryce is the best, first and foremost. For people who don't know, Bryce was a starting forward on a NCAA tournament team in American. Uh, you guys lost to Tennessee, if I remember correctly. You that told year, me. yep. Yep, my junior yeah. year, we lost to Tennessee. Yep. And then, you know, you were there for two years as well, and you were an awesome basketball player in your own right. And you are, in our conversations, Bryce and I talk a decent amount offline, Bryce is one of the most detail-oriented people, uh, which makes him a fit for this, obviously. Uh, One of the most detailed – like, he has sent me messages before asking me, like, yeah, so, like, James Wiseman is here on this pick-and-roll coverage. Is this – his problem is it somebody else's problem can you like kind of dive into this with me because i'm like kind of trying to understand it both on my end and like what you're seeing like and it's like we can get into the nitty-gritty with bryce it's the best we're gonna have a great time here um okay so let's start our order of operations for today on the show we're gonna go through we have not talked since james harden made his comments about daryl morey We'll talk about that at the start. We're going to talk about Trenton Flowers coming down here to Australia to play for the Adelaide 36ers. I've kind of been tracking that for a little while, so I wanted to talk about that momentarily. Uh, And then we're going to talk 2024 draft because that's what Bryce loves to do. Bryce loves to talk about the NBA draft. The way that we're going to set it up, we're going to talk a little bit about some introductory stuff where just Bryce's overall thoughts on the class. And then we're going to dive into five players that we are really excited to kind of see this year. I kind of picked two. I told Bryce to pick three, and we're just going to kind of go for five. I don't know who Bryce's three are. It's going to be great. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, just like at the end, some questionable guys that you know could emerge onto the 2024 draft radar, maybe not so much by the end of the year. We'll see. Guys that like probably are a little bit flawed right now, but you know, maybe in one way or another, they could emerge onto that radar. So let's get started. Let's talk about Harden. Okay. In China on, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday, <laughs> James Harden in front of this group of, it looked like assorted media, like at a camp sort of for uh, Chinese basketball players and Chinese, you know, younger players. James Harden said the following, Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Okay. This is like a wild statement. I can't remember the last time I heard a player come out this forcefully against a front office lead executive as Harden has the other piece of it that is interesting. I think that's worth contextualizing here. Well, two pieces first and foremost, it's worth recognizing the context of where James Harden is when he's saying this, 
James Harden is in China for people that, you know, have shorter memories. Daryl Morey came out very publicly uh, in favor of Hong Kong uh, or Taiwan. It was Hong Kong or Taiwan. I think it was Hong Kong. Um, And their independence from China, which is a very problematic statement within the borders of China. So Daryl Morey already is not a beloved figure within China at all. The second piece of it is that there has not been a more public cheerleader of James Harden throughout his career than Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey has been preaching that this dude is a top 10 offensive player of all time, a top five offensive player at all time. He's one of the greats. He's one of, uh, he has been the highest on Daryl on James Harden that you can imagine for this to happen is, is wild to me. It's completely wild. So before I get into like the timeline of all this, Bryce, I want to give you, just give you the floor. When you saw this, what was your reaction? So that's what I just wrote down, Sam. I've been tricked a couple times on Twitter with these like stand, you know, these fake accounts or whatever. And, you know, or X, I'm going to call it Twitter. I don't care what everybody else wants to call it. I'm going to call it Twitter. I was like, this has to be fake. How did somebody quote unquote video shop that this can't be real was my first thought sam and so my question back at you is i'm notorious for coming on other people's podcasts and asking them questions but what's the equivalent to this of what we've seen in the past i'm sure there is something but i can't think of it off the top of my head where someone has outright in a public setting said I don't trust this. He's a lie. Like straight up saying he's a liar, Sam. That's not kind of beating around the bush. That's very blunt. When's the last time we saw something like this? A player under, not after they left Sam, while they're still under contract with the team. The closest that I could think of in this circumstance was Dwight Howard. Like Dwight Howard kind of went out and said that like his preference was to not stay in Orlando and that he felt like the organization was not doing enough to build a team like basically worth him continuing to stay there essentially. I feel like that's like the closest that I can think of. I mean, Kyrie has done some wild stuff as well, but like, I don't think Kyrie's ever white done this Kyrie's stuff tends to be his own stuff like I think that the Dwight Howard one was probably the closest I could think of really but here's the other dynamic is and you touched on a little bit and I was pulling up some articles in preparation for this people like one of the articles the headline was are Harden and Maury the best duo in basketball you know it's like and of course that's a little hyperbole or whatever but at the end of the day like as you outlined we went from best friends to mortal enemies. And I know you're going to go through the steps of how it got there and all of that. And, and there's a bunch of money that's been lost as well. Like in some ways, I don't know where you sit. Like James Harden gave away how many millions of dollars throughout this process, right? Yeah. It's about, he gave away about 16, if I remember correctly, to opt out last summer and then opt in at a two-year, you know, $65 million deal or whatever it was, uh, gave back quite a bit of money. I think in the understanding that there would be a real reciprocation this offseason, right? 
Now, I would imagine some things changed there. And I, I think that it's obvious what changed here. We kind of talked about this on the Monday show, so I don't know how long I want to go on Harden, but I think we should go because it's you know a little bit of an interesting story around the league right now. James Harden essentially, to me, this all starts at Christmas. I tweeted this out like immediately after this Harden video came out. I was like, the thing that just stands out most to me among all of this is that Adrian Wojnarowski reported on freaking Christmas last year. James Harden is considering uh, a return to Houston and all this stuff. Uh, The exact tweet is all-star guard James Harden is seriously considering a return to the Houston Rockets in free agency this July if he decides against the deal with the Philadelphia 76ers. Guys, as somebody that like, like I'm in the, I'm in the like, world of like the nba like i am i talk to people and like i understand the reporting piece of it as well you know i don't i tend not to do my own reporting because i don't really like to but like i understand the process for it for Woj to say that on christmas it the the rumors have to be so fucking loud. That's what I was gonna say. Because I remember saying, if anybody other than Woj or Shams tweeted that, nobody would have believed it, right? No. Who could who no. could have who could have tweeted Harden potentially back to the Rockets and 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 you would believe it other than those two men, right? Like no, nobody. It has to be so like it has to be there so much for Woj to say that that. It's crazy to me that that came out. So that's where this all starts to me. And I think that that's the key. And then all throughout the rest of the time, throughout the rest of the year, this became an open question. You know, is Harden going to return to Houston? Is Harden going to do this? Is Harden going to do that? Like, that is absolutely the open discussion. And then Ime Yudoka gets hired. The reporting is that Ime Yudoka may not have been as interested in James Harden and Ime Yudoka uh, convinced the Houston front office maybe to not go down this pathway and instead sign Fred Van Vliet. So if I'm Philly, I'm pissed that at no point did they, did the Harden camp kill this enough to where it wasn't a continuing story. First and foremost, you can say that James Harden did lip service like after games and stuff when he was asked about it. You can say that James like tried to kill it or whatever. If you are a superstar in the NBA, if you want to kill something like this, you want to kill a story like this, you can kill it. You can tell everybody around you, I need you to stop talking about this. I need you to absolutely stop this from happening. You have that power. That's the power that James Harden has built by being a former MVP across the league. He did not do the, I don't think he did that. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say for sure he didn't do it. It certainly seems like from the outside that he did not do it. So that probably, I would venture that soured a bit of the relationship with Philly. His leverage is gone because Houston decides to go another direction. Then you're sitting here and James Harden has to decide, okay, what do I do? Do I pick up this option? Do I not pick up this option? he decides to pick up the option and asks Daryl Morey for a trade. I can't imagine that Daryl Morey said 100% we will trade you. That's just not how front office people talk. Like it just kind of isn't. So I'm sure that he said in that meeting, like, yeah, we'll, 
you know, we will work toward a trade. We will try to find a trade that works for both parties here. And I guarantee you that Daryl Morey did. The problem is that as I laid out in a previous podcast with Mark Schindler, there is a very, 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 very limited marketplace for James Harden right now across the league. He also has said that seemingly he wants to go to the Clippers. I guess the, like you can make the money work on that, but you can't make the assets work on that in a way for Philly that doesn't lead to real concerns that Joe LMB doesn't ask out at that point. I mean, that completely tanks your organization. So the level to which the Sixers are in between a rock and a hard place now is real. The problem now is that James Harden is in this place where we know what James Harden is like when he doesn't want to be at a place. Like Kevin McHale just came out today and said, like, in 2015, James Harden didn't give a shit and got me fired. Like, I think I saw that. Did I see that? I thought I saw that he said that. And then we saw him try to get out of Houston. We saw what the effort was when he tried to get out of Brooklyn. Like, we've been there. We've seen it. It's going to be terrible. It's a terrible situation across the board. And again, what I come back to is I think that Harden's representation did not handle any of this well across the board. I think that the decision to take less last summer in order to get PJ Tucker was not like a great plan for him. Agreed. I felt like deciding to opt in if he really wanted to leave knowing having worked with Daryl Morey for many, many years, you know what Daryl is. You know what he is like. He's not going to do something that does not better his organization's cause. You needed to opt out. I get that it would have been less money. James, you've made $500 million in your career between Adidas, between what, like, if you don't want to be in a place, don't be in a place. The problem now is that the reason I'm typically never against guys not getting paid. Like, I'm, I'm all for these guys getting whatever money they can. The problem is that James Harden tends to go about it in a very unprofessional way when he doesn't want to be in a place. And that's where I'm just not about it. Like, I can't, I can't get behind that. I can't get on that side. Like James Harden has made enough money that he can make his own decisions based on where he wants to be or doesn't want to be at the end of the day. So NBA rigged access. And so I'm, what do maybe you know for not, I'm not saying, you know, for sure, but maybe you have better. Uh, yeah. What do you think more? Was it that he didn't get paid or that he didn't trade him? Which part is Harden mad about? So I don't know is the answer. Okay. I, I, my, my guess, this is speculative. I'm not saying my guess is that it's the, it, it's the not taking care of them this summer. Thing. Okay. More of that, because if you're the Sixers, you can't, actually comment on this like you you are not allowed to say anything about that because that is in theory against the collective bargaining agreement to agree to like a deal under the table and say like x y and z so that's my current guess basically is that it's it's about the money more than it's about the trade it could be about the trade like maybe it's about everything like maybe these things it could be about both like it could be like hey, Daryl lied about this. And then to me, he lied about that, right? So it's a continuing pattern for James Harden that he sees this. It doesn't have to be just one thing, right? So 
look, I, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, like if James Harden wanted to get paid, James Harden shouldn't have shot 39% from the field and shouldn't have been terrible in game sixes and se- six and seven against Boston. Like if he plays well in those games, the Sixers, the Sixers will give him money. I feel confident of that. It, it's just the total lack of responsibility for your own actions that I struggle with, with Harden. Um, and it's always been this way. Like he is continually not taking his own responsibility. I get it that maybe he feels like he hasn't like given, you know, given, been given the credit he deserves for what he thinks his career has been. But I just can't, I can't, man. Like I, I, I'm always on the side of the players and I just can't be on the side of the player in this one. So here's my question before we move on. And sorry if you hear my kids screaming in the background. As Adam or as Sam and I talked about before, <laughs> Adam's in the comments. Shout out, Adam. But as Sam and I, I got three young kids. So if you hear him, I apologize. My wife's holding down the fort while I record the pod. I know we want to move on, but where do the Sixers go, Sam? Like what? It, what is the what is the game? I'm looking at the the roster on Spotrack saying, I mean, it's Joel, and that's it. Everybody else is unrestricted. Maxi is restricted free agent. Can this thing go off the rails all of a sudden? Like they can't go back into the process after the process. Can they? They can't. They can't get rid of Embiid. Oh no! Like they're they're gonna try and keep Joel with whatever they can for sure. I, I just what I wonder if this leads to is they have very specifically, I think, made a decision to not extend Tyrese Maxey. My guess on why they're not doing that is in order to keep his trade value in some way. Uh, it becomes easy to attach Tyrese Maxey to Tobias Harris to be able to go out and like be active in the trade market. I, I, I'm not saying I would do this. I'm just saying I wonder if this is the pivot. I wonder if they're if they do end up just moving Harden for kind of role players or whatever, and then they look in the season to shift and move like Tobias Harris and Maxi for another star. If a star becomes disgruntled in the season, I- I'm not saying that it's the right call. I-, I don't know if it's the right call. I, I think it's, I think they're probably just fucked, but like, I, I just wonder, I wonder about it all. I- I- Would you I do that now? Would you just move Harden for the role players? Like that's the, like you've talked about it. We've all talked about it. We've seen the mock. You just send them to LA and try to get some of those guys on expirings. And maybe they're, <sighs> Like Joel just goes bananas and eventually you move Tyrese and Tobias and whatever you can for a second star and you have some decent veteran role players around it. Is that, are you just going to settle for that? Is that what you would do? I'd be making calls league wide. I I would pretend like I'm comfortable going into the off season or going into training camp with this. I'd probably go into training camp with this at this point, to be honest. I think that's the only way you can regain any leverage in the circumstance. I think you kind of have to bring them to camp now. Once camp starts, I think I would see where it's going, see how bad this is. My guess is it's going to be pretty bad. And then try and reopen a bit of dialogue. Uh, Maybe like go to James and say, maybe go to James's representation and say like, look, your only way to get out of here is to be an adult and to be professional. If you are not professional in this circumstance, you're going to make it even harder for us to get rid of you. So if you come to camp 
and be a normal like professional for a month, we will try to move you. Like we, we will try to take care of you and we will do what we can. We will do our best. Maybe that allows you to regain some leverage. I saw Jason Timp, you know, brought up the idea of the Raptors. I don't think there's any way the Raptors would move OG and Anobi, like Jason said, but like, I think that, uh, you know, maybe the Raptors can get involved. You know, they obviously need a point guard at a pretty high level. You know, you need to kind of look around the league and try and find these spots that, you know, maybe can sell themselves on taking a leap, maybe can't. I don't think it's going to go well, to be honest. I, I think that, I think it's probably role players from the Clippers. The, the other piece of it is, though, like, the other piece Daryl Morey has to consider is, okay, if James asks out, does that lead to Joel immediately asking out and thus creating a circumstance where we have to try and get a return for Harden that is more future-based as opposed to current-based, right? Like, the Clippers offer is based on the present day. Yep. If the Harden move is going to lead to two more dominoes down the road, you have to be prepared for those dominoes. So that's what makes all of this so complicated. Like you can't just go about it and go, oh yeah, we're going to take the Clippers offer. Well, if you take the Clippers offer, does that lead to Joel asking out? Does that lead to Tyrese Maxey trying to go get an offer sheet? Does that lead to Tobias Harris not wanting to be there anymore? To where you are, no question, not a contender anymore. And if you're not a contender anymore, then you want to move Harden for future facing assets, not you know Norman Powell and trying to get Terrence Mann and trying to get, um, you know, Marcus Morris or whatever the salary matching is in a Harden Tucker swap, right? That's what makes all this complicated, I think. Is there a world where they just play this season out and then they go into next year with essentially they return Joel and Maxi as a restricted free agent? And and seriously, Sam, the rest of the books are almost clean if you can get PJ to not take his player option. Um, Paul Reed's oh, P- contract. P- PJ's taking that money. I know. I know. <laughs> you took care of him. Maybe he'll take. I know. He's so you keep that on. Maybe you can trade. Maybe you can get rid of it somehow. But you know what I'm saying? Like you can clean these books up pretty, yeah. pretty clean if you. But can you afford to try to weather an 82 game season of what that would be? Then I just you said it earlier. They seem to be between a rock and a hard place. I I'm just trying to like spitball some possibilities here that aren't just awful return for Harden or uh, it's, it's a crazy situation. It's a very bad situation. Bad. That's Philly. a better word <laughs> now. Uh, yeah, it's, it's bad. They're in a really bad spot and they run the risk of Joel. Like, you know, and that, that, that's the real risk now. Like, does Joel ask out? Uh, we need to talk about like down the road. Like that's a real thing. Like, I don't really want to talk about that now, but that's the risk here. That's yep. the real concern for Philly. Uh, more so than Harden at this point, even the the biggest concern is does Joel ask out? Okay, let's take a quick commercial break, and we're going to talk a little bit about Trenton Flowers and some other twenty twenty four NBA draft prospects. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection. With NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. 
everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. All right, Bryce. The biggest NBA draft news this week was that Trenton Flowers, a borderline four-star, kind of five-star-ish kind of guy, he was committed to Louisville, was in Louisville, was doing NIL events for fans in Louisville, was practicing with the Cardinals, and... Earlier this week, it gets officially announced that he is going to the Adelaide 36ers in the NBL. He is signing a after all of that. That is, uh, it was a stunner to be sure in Louisville. Uh, I think Louisville fans were a little bit surprised by all of this and rightfully so. I mean, anytime you lose, lose a four or five star, the guy that's really the most important piece of their recruiting class, you know, all due respect to Dennis Evans, like anytime you lose that guy that was supposed to be your player under Kenny Payne and you go four and 28, if I remember correctly last year, you lose that player that's supposed to be the centerpiece. It's tough. It's real tough. So I get Louisville fans frustration here in mid August, in mid August, you lost that guy. Yeah. I mean, like as somebody who has been inside, like, college basketball and has been a player how how big of a deal is that like t- tell me like if someone left your team in mid-august that's that's crazy like that it's impossible to replace him like yeah. you can't go out and get anybody now 
and it's different than whenever I played Sam because we didn't we weren't able to practice whenever I played in the summer. It was just workouts with the strength coach and stuff like that. Now even the non foreign tour teams are able to get so many practices a week and all of that stuff. So you know teams and chemistry and all that stuff's a little bit more established. And again, I understand guys doing what they have to do, girls and guys. You know, in this business, you have to be a little bit selfish with decisions, Sam. But if I was on that team, I, I would be pissed. Like you, I still have a group message with my teammates from how many ever years ago that was, 15 years ago. We talk almost daily. That's the kind of like chemistry, not every team, but it, it it, it hurts. It would really bother me as a player, especially I assume a lot of stuff was built around this kid for that Louisville offense. Yeah. So it's interesting. There, there have been reports that like he wasn't great in practice at Louisville. Um, what I was told was kind of similar ish along those lines. Um, I'm not like, I, I don't know. Like I'm not going to sit here and say I was at Louisville practices, but like, you know, like I'd heard that like Trey White was the guy at Louisville uh, throughout the process. And I like Trey White a lot. Like I think Trey White's a legit NBA prospect this year uh, if he can learn to shoot. So let's talk about this from a couple of different perspectives here. Let's talk about this first from Trenton Flowers' perspective on going to Louisville. I get why he did this. This Louisville roster is not – in any way, shape, or form conducive to his success next year. If he wants to be a one-and-done, there's nothing about this roster that is built around him. Their second-best prospect uh, in, like, piece that they're building around is Dennis Evans. He's, like, a seven-foot-two center that can't do anything outside of, like, five feet away from the basket. He's an awesome defender. He's enormous. He's long. I've heard he's, like, an unbelievable kid. Like, incredible human being. Uh but he can't do anything offensively outside of five feet from the rim. Let's even say maybe it might even be three, to be honest. It's just that he is one of the best defenders in the 2023 recruiting class. Your two four men are JJ Trainer and Brandon Huntley Hatfield. They both hit under 30% from three last year. Not really floor spacers. You have Trey White, who I love, but Trey White's like a great defender and is six foot seven and can move like without the ball and can handle the ball a little bit. Shot like 30% from three last year. Not really a shooter at this point. Sky Clark can theoretically be a shooter, but Sky Clark like wasn't very good in the limited minutes he got at Illinois. I hope that he is a little bit better. So if you're looking around in your Trenton Flowers, you're a player that, and maybe I'll give you the floor on this, Bryce. You can kind of break down who Trenton Flowers is because I made you watch a little bit of him. He's like this big six foot seven, six foot eight, like, I think he's more of a point forward than a lead ball handler. And we'll talk about that piece of it here momentarily. Uh, he's like the six foot seven, like point forward who loves to slash and get everything at the rim and try to make plays off of that. Like he grew up as a point guard, but then had a growth spurt and, you know, became this guy that is a, a little bit more of a point forward. When you watched Trenton Flowers, can you, A, what did you see? And B, can you see why I think this fit may not have been the best for his specific goals this year? Yeah, I mean, I thought you could see the stuff with the ball in his hands, right? But everything was to the rim. And even, you know, I just watched some like YouTube highlight videos. I didn't like do a deep dive. Like some of these guys will talk about, you know, well, I'm hoping we'll talk it. Well, I get a choice. So we're going to talk about my guy, mm -hmm. Dylan Jones later. And I would say that I've watched more Dylan Jones film than anybody other than maybe his own coaches. But with a shot, 
it, it's a little weird. He gets it to a point and then it's like a super quick flick. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it's okay. He's a young kid. I'm not like trying to crush it, but I'm, I didn't watch it and just go, Oh my gosh, that was fluid. This is a guy that can really space the floor and knock down shots. It, it was the stuff to the rim was interesting, Sam, but even when he explains his own game, He does say versatile, but he's like, I'm a Magic Johnson type player. He said the reason he wanted to go play in the NBL was he cited uh, Josh Giddy and Ball. And so, like, I I just took that no matter what I think about his game, Sam, this kid is thinking this is who he is. And one thing I know about players, especially a lot of them, they want to be the player they want to be. And so yeah. even if it would be more exciting maybe to be some off-ball cutting, slashing, developing, those type of things, he sounds like he wants the ball in his hand, dominate it, and run the show. And there's a diff- real quick, there's a difference, Sam, between running the show and being like this good passer, secondary creator yeah. that can attack a closeout and then make a right read. Yeah. And by the way, Adelaide could be set up for him to be that based off of what I've been told, he's going to play point guard. Like he's playing point guard. Like that is what they're doing. Uh, But they have Mitch McCarron. Like they have a guy that has played games for the Australian national team. Awesome leader, really good defender, you know, awesome distributor, point of attack defender. For instance, people that remember the big Phoenix game where they lost in the preseason last year to the Adelaide 36ers in like the NBA, NBL crossover event thing the reason that they lost is a Craig Randall went nuts, but B Mitch McCarron had like 17 assists in that game. He was unbelievable. Like Mitch McCarron has not shot well the last couple of years in the NBL, but he's like almost the perfect guy that you'd want to put next to Trent flowers in theory. The impression I'm getting is that that's, it's going to be more that Trenton's going to get the ball and it's going to be Trenton's show. If it is, it's going to be bad. I truly think it's going to be bad. Trenton Flowers is not ready to play point guard in a professional basketball league. I'm not sure Trenton Flowers was ready to play point guard like in college. I think that you can make a case that the spacing of the floor, that the, uh, you know, the more talent around him, you know, having professional players around him that are better shooters, that might be a little bit more conducive to his game. But there's more to being a point guard than just being able to drive and attack and get to the rim and being able to handle the ball at six foot eight. He can do that. He's a really talented kid and he has real upside. Like, I don't want to crush the kid. Like, there's a lot of talent here. It's just that he's not ready to do this in a professional league. Like, I think that his pace of play needs to improve a little bit. Like, he needs to be able to change gears at a pretty real level as opposed to everything going toward the basket. Uh, he has no real in-between game in the tape that I've watched. Uh, again, the jumper, I think, is a very real question mark. I think the decision-making is going to be, you know, for a point guard, I think he can make decisions in a straight line when he's a secondary ball handler and he can, like, you know, catch and drive or he can catch and maybe take a second ball screen. When you're responsible for initiating everything, the decision-making is critical, and I don't know if he has that yet either. So we've seen kids go over to Australia and struggle in a real way. The Josh Giddies, LaMelo Balls, they're the outliers. Like these are guys that have come in and proven that not only are they, you know, good NBA players, they're probably all-stars. Like Josh Giddy is probably going to be an all-star at some point. Uh, if you look at what his statistical thresholds are that he's hit so far, 
Josh Giddy is that good to where you know he probably makes an all-star game in the NBA at some point. So I don't think that's a good idea at all. Like he needs they need to play him with Mitch McCarron uh, and play him next to a real point guard. And he can grab and go and he can attack him on the break and you can attack scramble situations. There are a lot of different ways where like you can achieve what you want to achieve yes. while not playing point guard. And I hope that he kind of goes into this understanding that. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and he reclassified, right? Which is – That's the other piece of this. And I've, I've again, I listened to the podcast, so I know this. And we're going to talk about this with another player that we'll talk about later in the episode. But point guards, reclassifying, he hasn't always done it even though he grew I, – I, I could see a world, Sam, where he gets very frustrated. You know what? If they don't guard him, Sam – that's going to get really frustrating for him. What if they go under every ball screen and he can't knock down shots? And then it just. Oh, and they should. They should. That's what I'm saying. You know how frustrating that's going to get for him, though? So it, it's, again, it sounds like we're crushing him. I, I think we're crushing the decision no, he, because we think he can be successful. Yeah, like Otherwise, I'm crushing else. I'm crushing the situation maybe more than anything. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I want him to play off the ball more. I think that he yeah. is better as a wing, I, I think. And I hope that he understands. Like, I'm, if they want to try him for a week or so at point guard and see how it goes, okay, sure. But I, I think where this ends is he's probably a wing. And that's okay. Like, it's not the worst thing in the world for him to be a wing. Uh, very talented. Like, he's six foot eight. He's very coordinated. He can handle the ball. Like, he has some dribble passability at that size and the NBA is looking for guys that are this big like truly he does have real NBA upside like I'm not sitting here saying this guy's not an NBA player I think there's a good chance that he could be down the road but again the pathway is important here and when you talk to scouts about Trenton Flowers and he needs to understand this as much as anybody and his family needs to understand this as much as anybody this is coming from like NBA scouts they notice that he's been to four different high schools now that he went to Louisville, never played a game at Louisville. And before the summer ended, decided to leave Louisville and go to Adelaide. That's not something that teams love to see. Like they don't love to see. It's kind of a red flag for them that he's been jumping around. to all these different places and hasn't yet found a spot to be successful, like at the highest levels that he could be yet. So I hope that they understand that my concern is that based off of the interview that they gave uh, to, uh, I want to get this right here before uh, I mention it. It was the 35 KY sports. They just like kind of went on and started talking like him and his dad. And like, one thing they mentioned is like Kenny Payne. uh, I've been trying to call him. I've tried to call him seven or eight times and he still hasn't picked up. I wouldn't like I don't I might pick up once if I was Kenny Payne. I don't blame Kenny Payne for not picking up. Like the 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 more low key that you can do this and let your play do the talking would be good for Trenton Flowers at this point. He needs to kind of take a step back, I think. The family needs to take a step back and go to Australia be as successful as you can be in Australia and then everything will be taken care of. 
talking about this stuff publicly does nobody any favors. So I'm hoping that I'm hoping that the family like kind of understands some of the aspects of this that NBA teams are noticing already. Like and NBA teams notice this. You might think that you're just doing like an interview or whatever. You're saying this, you're saying that. Like you're out here like kind of publicly crushing Kenny Payne, who has a lot of really good relationships across the NBA. Right? Like literally worked for the New York Knicks. Not the best plan. Just not the best plan of attack, in my opinion. I've got into this world a little bit, that some NBA draft, non-media world. I, I, I won't say exactly what it is, but the more I'm around it and deal with some of this, like, yes, everything you said is 100. And you know even more than me just because of who you are and what you do. And you've talked to the NIL deals, sponsorship deals, agencies, NBA teams, everybody's paying attention. And to the point with Kenny Payne, Sam, the article I read, I was reading his quote and I was like, that was one of the better worded, like, I'm super pissed about this, but I'm not going to outwardly. I thought his quote was really good, is my point. Yeah. Because he you, don't, you, you can't just let a kid walk over you. Like, he, we are competitors in this business, you, you know, players, coaches. He, do you know how many resources they spent recruiting that kid? And then having him on campus, money, NIL deals, and the resources coaching him? It wasn't easy to hear that news. And I thought he had a really quality quote in, you know, in this day and age where you have to. So I, I just wanted to point that out. I thought, you know, I really, he's a, he's a grown man. Obviously he's the head of a program. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but I thought it was really well said his quote. I think it was the ESPN article on it. So where does this all go from here? Uh, Louisville. I think this probably makes them a little bit worse long-term, I don't know if it really like crushes them this year. I don't know what Trenton Flowers would have been this year uh, necessarily. I think he probably would have been a pretty interesting player, but you know, I think there would have been some inefficiencies there. I think that he would have provided maybe some like defensive versatility, just being as big as he is. Cause it's hard to find six foot eight wings with real coordination and athleticism uh, for Adelaide. Uh, I hope that this ends up being a circumstance where they don't play him at point guard all year, because I don't think that will go well. Uh, and for the kid, I think this probably does put him in a better position to be a 2024 draft pick if that is what he wants to be, if only because I think it puts him in a better roster situation for his talents. I don't think it puts him in a better position if he's going to play point guard, and I don't think it puts him in a better position if he is going to continue to do some of the things that they seem to be doing right now. But I do think that in general, he is more likely to be a draft pick now in 2024 than he was if he was at Louisville, which maybe that ultimately achieves their goal and that's fine, but just go about it in a bit of a slightly different way. Maybe. Can I ask my overarching question on this? Do we, can we, can we do that? Okay. So I wanted to ask you, because you talked about Anthony Black a little bit. So my question is, are these archetype of players better off developing off-ball skills, Sam? Cutting, (laughs) shooting, offensive rebounding, because they still have solid positional size, right? Instead of trying to, quote-unquote, force themselves into jumbo creators. Because how many true jumbo creators are in the NBA right now? I put Luca, Cade, and Giddy. Who am I missing? Yeah, you're probably missing. I mean, like Devin Booker probably applies here, okay. right? Like there, 
There, there are a few for sure. Like you, you could kind of like, does Jason Tatum qualify here? Like he's kind of morphing into that now. He is. Um, LeBron what, was a little bit different, like monster. Like he was so physically gifted, but I just, that that's my question. And then the thing that came to me as somebody, so yeah, a man Thompson. And that's where I was going to, as somebody who covers the Pistons, I was thinking of this Amin versus Asar. Like, where is that yeah. going to go? Where Amin has been into this jumbo creator, and at least early in his career, Sam, and he was really good at at this part, I thought, at Summer League, Asar will play off the ball as a cutter, yeah. offensive rebounder, play finisher, but provides super plus passing for that position. Yeah. Uh, LaMelo, I think, applies. Good call yeah, by yeah, Connor yeah. Andrews in the comments. Yeah, good um, call there. There... There's there are a few nice of them. Head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, I think that it's hard. Everybody, the reason everybody's looking for this is more defensively based than offensively based. It's hard to play on defense now with a small player on yep. the court, basically, sure. is the key, right? Like, it, it's just really, really difficult, I think, to be able to make that work with how much space you have to cover in the NBA, with how much you have to kind of make things work uh, on that end of the court. Uh, off the ball, on the ball, switch scenarios, the way the teams mismatch hunt now, it's hard to have a small player on the court. That I think more is why teams are looking at this as like a real player archetype to go down the road of. The thing is you have to be good enough to do it. Like to answer your question, which I think is a great question, it's – it's a cop-out for me to say this, and I understand that it's like people are probably going to be pissed about it. It's kind of like situational to me. Yeah. Do you have good enough ball skills? Do you have good enough feel for the game? Like, do you, are, are you Josh Giddy level, LaMelo Ball level in terms of thinking the game feel-wise, creativity-wise? It's hard. Like, the, the level to be this level player, and Anthony Black, by the way, kind of fits this mold as well. The level to be this level player from a feel perspective is through the goddamn roof. Like the intangibles as well, Sam. Intangibles as well. Like that's why I'm a Cade Cunningham believer. And again, I realize I'm another one. But Cade has intangibles that not everybody. So let me ask you this: You brought up Anthony Black. I actually think Anthony Black has some decent off-ball skills in terms of cutting, offensive rebounding, the things I'm talking about. But the shots, the defense, especially that that kid is really, really good. Would he have been better served doing that? Actually, I want to Scotty Barnes. Where should Scotty Barnes, should he continue to try to be a point guard or should he just hone being a plus passer off ball type player? Yeah. And by the way, like another one that kind of fits this, uh, Gregor Castillo, Oklahoma city, the guy that I think kind of fits this might be Jalen Williams long. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I think Jalen Williams has a chance to be like a real jumbo creator. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think my take is that you have to develop those ball skills earlier and I think you can develop the shooting stuff a little bit later. Like we have seen guys develop more as shooters later in their careers, um, at least off the catch and at least being able to like, okay, if you're going to be in the corner, like, can you make a spot three? If you're going to be on the wing, can you make a spot three kind of thing? Like, I think that you can develop that a little bit more easier than you can develop like the innate ability to think through the game play point, get those reps. And by the way, once you get to the NBA, if you're not good enough on the ball, you can't get the reps on the ball to keep improving. So you need to have those reps previously to be able to do it. So 
you know, may, you can make a case that this might be good for Trenton Flowers to be able to go over and play sure. more, you know, point guard to maybe get a chance to get those reps. I think where I'm at is I just don't think he's good enough to do it, frankly. I think he's good enough to be an NBA player as a wing once he learns, if he can learn to shoot and, and like be a secondary playmaker and be like an awesome player. So for me, in this case, I think it'd be more valuable for Trenton Flowers to learn off-ball skills. But in a case like Asar Thompson, the Tom- I mean, nobody fucking raises kids like the Thompson family. Like, they're, it's unbelievable. They're so, they did such a great job. Like, they got Asar on ball reps when he was younger. And they, they got him enough of them to where it is like a real, he has a framework to be able to develop those skills. You have to be able to have a framework, I think, to grow off of. I think operating in a ball screen is so much harder than what people give it credit for sometimes. And maybe this is for me because I was, as a player, I was a catch and shoot guy. Like I stand me in the, I could run off screens a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I always wanted to be able to, and I was a good passer. I saw the floor very well, Sam, but just operating a ball. There's so much new. That's why I love guys that really operate ball screens. Well, do I snake it? Do I jail it? Do I, Go to the floater. Is the lob there? Has the low man overhelped? Is the rotation there? Can I hit the hammer? Do I hit the backside? Yeah. All of those. And then it changes every single time. The coverage has changed. The angles change. There's there's so much processing. There's so, so much processing when it comes to that. Like To shoot, I catch the ball and flick my wrist and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> there's just so much you have to think about. Like it's the processing. It's all yes. of it. Like you have to be able to see nine different things at once if you're running a ball screen. And that's that's crazy. Like it's truly, we don't give these guys nearly enough credit about how smart they have to be to be able to do this. Like even guys that quote unquote, like, don't have the highest basketball IQ. Like for instance, Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook has to be so fucking smart to be able to run ball screens like this. Like does not get nearly enough credit. Russ was a freak in terms of like the athleticism, the ability to get downhill and all that stuff. But my God, like his ability to actually process what's happening, dish out 10 assists, you know, how hard it is to dish out 10 assists in an NBA basketball game and do it night after night, after night, after night. It, look, we can talk about like some of the decision making and some of the inefficiencies, and maybe he wasn't like the absolute best processor of basketball in the world by NBA standards. But that dude was smart. That dude could do it. Sam, I, I did a some film study on him my first off season when I first started. So I started doing this in December 2020, and I, I don't know why I did it that next off season, but mm-hmm. I, I it, you know, it was the empty stats thing always with Russ, and I'm just like, okay, yeah, some of these stats are within the offense. Russ is creating so many assists. That's not an empty stat. Even rebounds. Somebody has to rebound the ball. And I thought it was brilliant that he raked it down on the defensive boards and then led the break. Yeah, let's get rid of the outlet pass and let Russ go. But I I think in some ways, Russ, especially because kind of how the end of his career has gone now, I guess, and, you know, all of that. He was more than just a – here's what I struggle with sometimes. With Russ, it's like, oh, he just played really hard. He was an ultimate competitor. Yes, he was, Sam. He was also yep. really, really talented. And we all want so to show the shot of him hitting it <laughs> off the top of the backboard and all that. Like, I get it. I understand it's, it's easy to make. The dude could really, really play. And it, he was more than just the ultimate. There's a lot of dudes that were ultimate competitors, Sam, that were physically gifted and didn't have the career that Russell Westbrook had. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. You're 100% right. Um yeah, and look, like the the big question for Louisville now is like around Kenny Payne and like being able to stick this job out. I mean, yep. look, like the question is like what is good enough for Louisville now, right? Like is it 
does he, do they need to win, you know, 18 games? Do they need to win, you know, if they win like 15, 16 games, think about how big of a leap that is. That's like an 11 or 12 win leap. That's a huge amount of wins, but like at Louisville, is that enough? I, I don't know. Like, honestly, like I don't really have an answer for it because like in today's day and age of college basketball, as Louisville showed, like you can completely revamp your roster and completely change things and bring in new guys and do everything like that. So like, I I don't know. I don't know what's enough. It might be a combination, Sam, of winning enough games and having the recruiting class slash, you know, and I count the portal obviously as a recruit, like showing going to the administration say, yeah, we only won 15 games this year, but look who we're in with in yeah. the high school recruiting class. Or, you know, we know the portals. We, we know all the conversations that happen behind the scenes. We, we don't have to play around about this. So like just show them, Hey, we're going to have this class. We brought in a kid last year. He decided to leave, but we're bringing in this four star and this transfer from such and such college. And you know, all those, I think it's a combination of those two things. Yep, for sure. Okay. Next thing we want to talk about is the 2024 NBA draft. Bryce, I'll just give you the floor. What is your take yeah. on this draft? I've kind of talked about it. Like I'm not, I'm not wildly high on it right now. And I think that the reason I'm not wildly high on it is largely because I think you and I, and people like us, we get so excited about the depth guys, right? We get so excited about <laughs> like being able like, I love talking about, like, I'm so excited to talk about Dylan Jones with you. Oh it's going to be gosh. great. Yes. Um, but at the end of the day, there are only a certain number of like needle movers across the league, sure. right? Yep. Uh, there are only a certain number of guys that are like legit franchise guys. And I don't think this class really has that right now. I don't think I've seen a guy that I really believe in as a true needle mover league wide. I see a lot of good starters. I, I don't see like that guy. Where, where do you kind of sit on this? Yeah, I'm in the same spot. I mean, I remember watching Scoo a couple of years, you know, when he was 17 playing in the G League and just like everybody's raving about his athleticism. And I was like, this kid plays with such amazing pace and control of the game. So no, so that, that's where I want to start with it. It is, I think it's weak at the top, Sam, because you don't have that needle mover. But I do think there's going to be some quality depth after the lottery, late first round, maybe into the second round. And that's another thing I want to ask you about. But I want to ask you this. If I told you there was, Sam, a consensus number one pick eight months from now, it's consensus, who would that be? Who would you put your money on if I told you there's a guy that's going to emerge? Because right now you can turn on any mock or open any mock big board, and it's all over the place, right? It's Matas, it's Holland, it's this guy, it's that guy. Maybe that guy's now seven and somebody else's. Who do you think – who would you put your money on if you had to put some money on it? I think the one. So it's kind of a question of like, who is the most upside among this yep. group? Right. Agreed. And if yes. the upside hits, who would it be? I think yes. the answer is modest Bazellus. I think that if he goes out and like, cause he can really shoot already. Like he shot 40% from three last year at sunrise. Like he can really knock down shots He can handle the ball. He has real creativity in terms of the way he plays. I think that if he was to go out and like really impress this year with the Ignite, I think that he would probably be the one that would be closest. I don't know if we're going to get it. Uh, I I have some concerns about like his decision-making and feel for the game in general. Um, 
but that stuff can be improved. I think as he continues to get reps and continues to get more time on the floor. Uh, and if you go back and like you watch some of the higher end tournaments that he was in, I thought he was pretty impressive, uh, especially later in his season. So the answer I think is modest. I think he is the one that has the highest chance to be it. Uh, he needs to improve defensively. He needs to improve passing playmate. Like there are a number of things he needs to improve, but the baseline of being six foot 10, six eleven, real shooter, extremely high level athlete, uh, creative mindset. I think that's the highest upside guy. Who, who would you say? Yeah. I- I've not been highest on I, – I need you to tell me I'm wrong. I, I don't like Modest going to the G League Ignite. I, I got, I'm got i nervous about him playing that physicality and some of those. I just – I've watched Modest and said, hey, he's he would crush college basketball. Maybe I'm overthinking this. I don't love him going to the Ignite. And I've also listened to you talk about how the Ignite – like they got to start keeping these guys in – where they're supposed to be right i mean yeah some of these guys have lost ground and i just i'm a little nervous that modest is gonna do that because he may not just really really shine where if he was playing at whatever blue bud in college basketball i think he would just i think he would just crush yeah like if if i told you like izzy almansa like has a better year than modest in the g league this year like that shouldn't surprise anybody like Izzy is very polished and very, uh, you know, he just knows how to play on a really high level. Like he's played with the Spanish, uh, you know, youth national team, and he's arguably the most decorated player uh, in those tournaments that we've seen, I think, since Jonas Valanciunas uh, on the national team level. Luca was obviously more decorated, winning like fucking MVP of Euro League. But like on the national team youth level, there has not been somebody that has been as decorated as Amansa since Jonas Valanciunas came into the league and Jonas went in the top five. So like it, it shouldn't stun anybody if he comes in and plays well. And then Ron Holland is there. Obviously they just have a lot of dudes to try and figure out. Like, I'm really interested to see how they kind of manage minutes, how they kind of make things work on the court together with one another. Um, is there like some staggering situations that kind of happen where like some guys play some nights, some guys play other nights kind of deal that wouldn't blow my mind. Um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really, really interesting to see how they end up going about their process. Uh, but you're not wrong. Like I'm, I'm, I'm worried about all these kids with the ignite because I'm worried about the ignite program in general, continuing to allow these kids to thrive. I'm sure that they get better. Like I'm sure it helps them in some way uh, improve their uh, preparation to be professionals. But in terms of like the draft stock aspect of it, I think you nailed it on that. All right. I think this draft class lacks shooting, Sam. And I'm going to give you in comparison to last year. And and for the listeners, I've only done this. This is like my second real cycle, third kind of. Let me give you the first round guys. Brandon Miller, Hendricks, Howard, Dick, Hawkins. I'll count Keontae George. Pajimski. I think Cam Whitmore can shoot Whitehead, Sasser, Shepard, Sinsabaugh, Strother, Kobe Brown. That was just the first round. Now, the second round didn't have a whole lot of shooters, you know, what I would call three-point shooters in the 2023 draft. But I I think a lot of those guys can really shoot the ball, Sam. And that was, what, four, eight? I mean, that's double-digit guys in the first round that I think can really be floor spacers potentially. in. And Jordan Hawkins was my 
whatever you want to say. He was my guy. I loved watching that kid yeah. shoot the basketball. Just shooting off of movement. Yeah, off the move. I, I, I said he was the best shooter in the class because of that. Grady Dick, I get it. You know, I'm, I'm like, wait, whatever. Where is that in this class right now, Sam? Because as I go through, I mean, Modest, is that maybe why he has the highest upside as the number one? So, so I would say I like Modest as a shooter. I think Justin Edwards has chance to be at least like a good 36% okay. catch and shoot guy. Uh, Jacoby Walter, I think can shoot. Like I, I, I feel, like, I like Jacoby, Sam. <laughs> I like Jacoby a lot too. Uh, Riley Kugel, I think is questionable as a shooter, but I think he could be a shooter. We're going to talk about one today. Trey Alexander shot 40% from three last year. I think that's why I'm a little bit higher on Trey than what other people are right now. Uh, what about, McKenzie? That, what about McKenzie? I like McKenzie and Baco. Okay. Yeah. I like, I like McKenzie as a shooter. I like the, uh, I like the long-term upside of him as a shooter. I think that, you know, I saw him up close at hoop summit for, you know, four or five days. It doesn't go in as much as you would like it to right okay. now. No, no, that's, but, that's a good point. Sam. I, I liked, I've, I, I like the footwork and just how it looked when I watched the film, but you're right. Yep. It didn't maybe go in as much as you would want. That's fair. Uh, Bobby Clintman, I think uh, is a, you stole a name. fairly real shooter. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's the other thing I would point out to you. So going back through the 2023 draft, the guys that you pointed out as shooters, uh, huh. Taylor Hendricks, uh, Kobe Buffkin was sort of a shooter. Not really though. Keontae George was definitely a, you know, one and done selection. Brandon Pajemski. Uh, let's see here. Marcus Sasser was sort of a guy that was projected as a first rounder. Ben Shepard, Bryce Sensabaugh, Julian Strother, Kobe Brown. That's six or seven guys, depending on how you want to classify a couple of those guys that were not projected first round picks yep. coming into the year. And that's always going to be the thing that is, where did these, where does the shooting come from and trying to identify who the shooters are going to be, I think is really critical. You know, Jeffrey Chan brings up Alex or Jeffrey Chan. I'm sorry. Brings up Alex Caravan in the YouTube comments. I love Alex Caravan. I think I had Alex Caravan as like a top 40, 45 player on the mock. I did would not surprise me if he ends up being the guy that emerges as like one of these shooters, the teams look for, you can't not have shooting on the, court in the nba right now it's just really hard so let me bring it this is another one of my guy peyton sanford is a guy that nobody listening to the podcast is probably gonna know <laughs> they they, yeah. they may not even know where he plays peyton sanford plays for iowa he is going to be the go-to player on the offensive end for iowa he's a little bit taller than me i've met him in person i'm six six so he's six seven six eight his little brother was just mr basketball in iowa this last season he's there playing with him and he can flat out shoot it. He was like 40. Well, if you just look at the raw stats, but the final 18 games, he was 43% on 5.7 attempts. He had a really slow start. He figured it out. Chris Murray is gone now. He's going to get a lot of attempts in that Iowa offense. He's going to play good enough defense. He's gotten better on the boards. If shooting is a little bit weak in this draft, I think it's guys like a Peyton Sanford. You know what another – like uh, we got, do we have to save Tucker DeVries? Cause that's another, like where did Tucker yeah. DeVries go? Because that's Man. another guy. I love Tucker DeVries. I, I, I do. I, I think Connor Andrews brings up another one. Jared McCain. That's a I really like, good name. Yes. He can really shoot. Uh, he's a little small, but he can really, really shoot. I just want to see more of how that Duke situation hands out Connor. Um, 
But Tucker DeVries can really shoot the basketball. I love Tucker coming into last. Like I talked about Tucker in November last year and okay. was like, this is a guy that I really, really like. I really worry that he might not have the uh, baseline athleticism as like a movement guy to play uh, in the NBA. But you know what? Like I would have said the same thing about Duncan Robinson. I would have said the same thing about a number of these other shooters, not Max Struess. Max Struess was always athletic enough, I thought. And people that have listened to the show for a long time know that uh, we love Max Struess on this show. Okay. Uh but Tucker, I mean, look, you're you're 100% right in terms of Tucker being a guy that is really interesting. 37% from three last year. That doesn't look like a great number. But if you see the shit this guy's running off of for his dad at Drake, I mean, he is running off of insane level actions. Like he is coming backward toward the other basket, stopping on a hop, turning in all one motion and rising up to shoot a three like it's insane what this guy can do off of movement. And it's the same with Jordan Hawkins. Jordan Hawkins is probably like 38 last year from three, right? Yeah, and yeah. Jordan Hawkins is like a real weapon is a shooter. There's a difference between being like a spot shooter that can knock down shots and hit 40% of those and being a weapon as a shooter. Jordan Hawkins is a weapon as a shooter. Tucker DeVries is a real like weapon as a shooter. Well, what you can do to occupy a weak side defense with guys like that, Sam, is just different as opposed to a guy, you know, PJ Tucker just standing in the corner where his man knows exactly where he's at. He can be the low man and he knows if that's Jordan Hawkins. Now the low man, his man is running off a staggered on the weak side while you're running ball screen on the strong side. And now the low man changes throughout the possession and that just it puts more pressure on the defense and. You lose him, he knocks it down. If you run with him, then you're not there to help on the pick and roll lob, you know, whatever it is. So I, I, those guys just provide different threats than a catch-and-shoot guy. Totally. Uh, let's get into our five guys. Who do you okay. want to start with? I want you – oh, I got to start because we're going to do an odd number. So I want to – you just mentioned – I want to talk Bobby Clintman. I Okay, that was one. Okay, cool. Oh, that was one of yours? No, no, no. Was, uh, I'm glad that you brought up. I'm, I brought up Bobby a minute ago, so I'm glad that. Oh yeah, Bobby so, ended up being one of your guys. Six ten wing leaving to go play over in the NBL. I watched a lot of his film early in the year, and I was just amazed at this guy. Who what I like about six ten guys that play on the perimeter is if they move like guards, Sam, sometimes you can see guys who are, I want to say this about Baba Miller. I feel the same about Baba Miller. I think Baba moves like a guard. He obviously has to show a lot of improvement, but I thought that with Bobby as well. Cause some 16 guys, you can tell they're not perimeter players. They're just trying to force it. He has to play through contact better, Sam. He has to get stronger, but the final 11 games, this kid shot 41% on four attempts from three. He passes decent for his size. He offensive rebounds. He cuts were positive. Defensively, he's got to show some stuff, right? He's got the strength will help with that. But I'm really, I don't know as much about the NBL nearly as much as what you would know. Like, is this going to be a good situation for him? How are they going to use him? What's the style of play? I've never had a scout, a a kid coming out of down there. So uh, I guess Rupert, I, I watched. So, but that was about it. Yeah, and Rupert was such a limited role. Like yeah, he yeah. played as a defender. Like he came in and you know started games, but like was really just like there to be a stopper, right? Um, so on Bobby, you bring up the idea of him being a guard that is six foot ten. The reason that he has that is because that's kind of how he was brought up. And you look at the 
Swedish national team, the youth level teams, when he plays on, he's basically like he plays with a point guard, but like he's grabbing and going on the break. He's leading the offense at times. Like he's making passing reads. He's trying to collapse defenders and trying to kick out a lot of the time. Like I think in the U20, I think it was the Division B competition because Sweden wasn't in the A competition with like all of the really good Spanish or uh, like the European teams like Spain, France, Lithuania, etc. Um, he averaged like I think it was like 17, 10 and like five assists or something in that competition just because he was essentially thrown into being the lead creator and being the point guard of that. So I'm glad you bring up the movement ideas because it's more the way he moves off the ball for me as opposed to on the ball wake. He knows how to kind of come off of screens. Uh, He knows how to just like kind of keep his feet set behind the line and just take those two slide steps down to the corner in order to catch and shoot from three. Right. Those are the kind of things that I really like about him. And I think he has awesome touch uh, above all. The next question is kind of how it works in the NBL. The NBL is a little bit more of a free flowing league that is, it's like a cross between college and the NBA a little bit. Okay. Okay. The offensive skill level is really good. The bigs in terms of, uh, you know, pick and roll defense and everything, they can be a little bit more. not immobile like there are teams that have mobile bigs like Jarrell Brantley was over here last year and was like awesome uh as a defensive player in this league so it's it's kind of a cross like it's a little bit more of like physical bigger guys and then sometimes like undersized centers that can like really move so in Bobby's case how does that work itself out he'll be playing on a team where the best player is Taj McCall he's the like kid that went to i believe tennessee state uh and was like one of the best defenders in college basketball his year and it's developed into like a really good 15 6 and 5 guy over here while playing as one of the best defenders in the league uh the other guy that they have that they've just recently brought over uh is another player that played at tennessee state bizarrely uh his name is patrick miller and he has been uh, a very, very effective player over the course of the last couple of years. He was in Germany last year. I think it was in Lithuania the year before and like led the league in scoring in Lithuania. He's more of like a, uh, like combo y, like six foot, like one guard kind of player. Those are the guys that tend to be successful. The other player that is with Cairns that I'm excited to watch is Taryn Armstrong. Okay. He is, uh, you know, a really good passer and playmaker. I would imagine he's probably going to be more of like a backup point guard this year. But honestly, like playing him next to Taj McCall at the three, playing him next to Patrick Miller at the one could kind of be like an interesting deal because he's such a good pick and roll playmaker, slicer of offense and like being able to create and process the game at a really high level at six foot five. So there are a number of ways that Karen's could work itself out this year. But Bobby playing the three and the four, I think, is really, really interesting. Bobby being able to be that like kind of hybrid three, four floor spacer who grabs and goes on the break showcases some of those skills we see at the youth national level for Sweden. Look, I have him as a first rounder right now. I I think that it's really interesting. I thought he could have been a first rounder this year. 
Am I, it would have been mean, close. Obviously, he wasn't going to be, or he would have stayed in the draft, or he didn't think he was going to be. I just thought he was picking up a lot of steam. I think one thing that would really help Bobby, just and again, I watched a lot of the film earlier in the year, but he, he didn't quite understand how to use his all of his 6'10 frame yet. You know, like I would like to see him be able to finish some lobs and be a low man rim protector. I think it did get better later in the season, but I think that would be big as well. You know, if you're going to be a 6'10", three or whatever, yes, the passing and the grab and go and all that stuff is great, but I would love to be able to see him be a little bit more disruptive with all of that. And it's probably partly just growing into it. And I'm glad you bring up the disruptive factor because where I think that why I didn't have him as a first rounder last year and I wrote about him, like I, he declared through the draft with me and everything and like did that. His athleticism is, is like a bit of a concern. He's not, sure. he's a very fluid athlete. He is not all that explosive as an athlete. And typically those guys that are disruptive tend to have that little bit of pop, right? That explosiveness. And that's where he needs to improve. And, yep. you know, there are ways for him to do it. Like he could, you know, get better training over here than maybe he was doing at Wake. You know, there are a number of different factors. I, I'm not going to pretend to know necessarily, but that's what he needs. He needs that pop. He needs to get in like the best shape of his life and just add that little bit of like real pop as an athlete. If he does that, he'll definitely go in the first round. But I was worried about it for sure. Yeah, no, that's what I, I, he he will be really fun to in- he will be really interesting to follow and really fun to watch this year. And obviously with all these prospects, the NBL overall, Sam is something in me. NBA draft fans are going to have to turn into those games this year because there are multiple prospects. We've talked about a couple of them and then also uh, what AJ Johnson down there as well. And so, yeah, so I I can kind of give you a list. So Alex Sarr is going to be with Perth. Yep. Uh, Bobby Clinton's going to be with Cairns. AJ Johnson's going to be with Illawarra. Rocco Zakarski, who is not eligible for this year, but is a projected 2025 pick. Uh, He is going to be with Brisbane. Ariel Hookporty, I think people have kind of forgotten about Ariel Hookporty. He is like this big six foot 10, six foot 11, seven foot. He's actually seven foot now, I say it. uh, Center that was awesome to finish the year in 2021 or no 2022 and then tore his Achilles last year Ooh. in like the first game of the year for Melbourne United and they brought him back he's auto eligible this year he's probably going to play a ton of minutes for them and i think he's going to be awesome like i think he's like he is going to be a draft pick this year i think uh for uh the NBL uh the other guys worth watching, uh, Monus Rupstavicius is going to be with the New Zealand Breakers. I'm not wildly high on him. Alex Tui, the former commit to Gonzaga, he's going to oh, yeah. be with Sydney. Uh, and then Taryn Armstrong, obviously, he's not a next star, but he's with Cairns with uh, Bobby Clintman. And then David Aquera is a guy that uh, is way off the radar. Uh, he is with Perth. He's like seven foot, uh, 6'11 ish, something like that. Uh, can shoot a little bit, real athlete. Definitely a project, but a player worth watching, at least, I think is the way to phrase it. I know I can Google this stuff. What What are these guys making down? What What is the draw that is taking these it's, kids to the NBL over? Because I know what some of these guys are making NIL money. I know what some of the guys that can't. We I, Hunter Dickinson got paid to go to Kansas. Hunter Dickinson got paid to go to Kansas. Look, 
I think that there's a reason that a lot of these kids are more European. Like, for instance, like Bobby Clintman is from oh, Sweden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course. Alex R is from France. And you know, R.L. Hookporty, I-, I believe, is German, if I remember correctly. Savish is Lithuanian, too. He's Australian. Um, it's that the money, I think, now in college basketball is better, is what I would say. Uh, it, I- I would leave isn't it, it harder for those guys to get NIL money? Am I mistaken with? I feel like I've heard people. Talk, this is only that like to get like uh, to get deals like off the court. You mean like Toshibwe had to go? They had to go play a game in Canada. Oh, so he actually, get his money. Is that yeah. not? Is that correct? It can be harder. Okay, that's a fair way to put it. Yeah, okay. it can be. It can be harder. Uh, you, you have to look. People have figured out workarounds. Like for instance, Zach Eady is you know from Canada and is or you know has been in the past like a bit more. Uh, beholden to some of those rules Purdue found workarounds right like they figured out ways to make it work so uh yeah yes the answer is yes it can you have to find workarounds is the way to put it um okay let's go to the next guy we want to talk about I want to talk about Elliot Cadeau okay so I did not put Elliot Cadeau on the 2024 mock I know and people we're surprised by that. And I, I'm a little bit, I, I want to start here. I really buy the talent with Elliot Cadeau. Like I think the way that guy runs an offense is absolutely incredible. His processing ability, his intelligence, he is a real athlete as well. I think that's like a really critical factor. Like he has enough athleticism to break down defenders and be able to play. Plus he has the wherewithal to be able to play at different speeds, be able to play at different paces. He is a maestro. He was a maestro at the high school level playing uh, for Link Academy. Like he was unbelievable. Can I read the quote real quick and then let you Yes, go? please. Yeah. Okay, so this, this is from Adam Donier and I interviewed Adam um, for a Link Academy article article for Draft Digest. So if you guys want to check that out, you can. But he said on Elliot Cadeau, one of the best point guys, guards I've ever seen live in 18 years of coaching. That's the game I was coaching or coaching against. He has a level of unselfishness and court awareness and has a really good chance of being a one and done. So that I just I just wanted to throw yeah. that in there for context before you, you went ahead and cooked. So, so the thing that I'll bring up is twofold here. First, he's reclassifying. Yep. (laughs) I tend not to be somebody that is a big believer in point guards reclassifying. I think Elliot is different than most point guards that do reclassify. Elliot is special in terms of the things that you really need to be good at to be successful. His feel for the game, his intelligence, his IQ, everything like that. He's also a little bit older than a lot of these guys as well. Um, he is obviously eligible for the draft this year. It's not a typical reclassification where, you know, someone has to stay two years in college. For instance, Kyra Lewis had to stay two years in college when he committed to Alabama early. The thing is though, (laughs) he's entering a North Carolina situation that has like a fourth year starting point guard in RJ Davis. And they have a lot of older guys like Cormac Ryan and Armando Baycott and guys like that. Like, I, I just don't know what the situation looks like there. Like, are they really going to play him at point? He's a point. Like, he's not a oh, two yeah, guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's he is a pure point. He's not somebody that you play off the ball. Like, are they really going to take R.J. Davis off the ball 
who's a fourth year, like been there forever, been to the title game, like was arguably their best second best player behind Baycott, like in that NCAA tournament, Hubert Davis really trusts them. Like, are they really going to take the ball out of that guy's hands? I'm just a little bit skeptical of it. Uh, He has the talent to be a one and done. I'm there. I'm just worried about all of that. Plus him being six foot and just like six foot guards in general. And it's a little bit harder for them. I love the talent. I want to keep reiterating that. I think he's an incredible player. I just don't know if it's a one and done situation. Well, and whether people want to hear this or not, Hubert Davis's job is to win college basketball games. Now it's part of that is recruiting guys. And if you bring in Elliot Cadeau and he's not happy, maybe that hurts your chances at bringing other guys. But my point is, I know this is a high school coach. You fall in love with your veteran players. These guys mm-hmm. that have been through the ringer with you, for you, done these one high level games for you. And I think that's important to note when you're talking about taking him off the ball and putting Elliot there. And I just, a real quick comparison. I, cause me and Adam talked about El Marco Jackson at Kansas, uh, a yeah. night, two nights ago. Now that, that backcourt is crowded, Sam, but I think El Marco has a better ability to play off the ball because it's a similar situation with Dewan Harris, right? Bill Self ain't taking Dewan Harris off the ball. He's been really, really good. And Dewan isn't very good off the ball, which makes it even harder. But El Marco is a little bit taller. Sam is a pretty good shooter. And so I think he can make it work a little bit more than what maybe it sounds like with North Carolina and Elliott Cadeau. Yeah, and El Marco's also like just more powerful and physical yeah, and is and like a nuclear athlete. Like that guy just, is like we were talking like, about the, the, the zone law that everybody if you watch KU, you know the <laughs> the law play they run in, it still always works, Sam. But yeah. I I think they're running that for El Marco Jackson. You know, that was usually reserved for yeah. Andrew Wiggins and Josh Jackson and those guys. I think it's going to El Marco because I think he's the most explosive vertical athlete on that roster. Oh, can you imagine like an exchange on the weak side where it's like you run like a, a exchange with Nick Timberlake and Al Marco where like Nick is coming up to the wing and somebody just has to make a decision on like, all right, do we do we deal with Nick on the wing or do we deal with El Marco flying to the rim? Oh, well, we're kind of fucked either way. So like <laughs> Hunter Dickinson setting the screen of the middle of the zone trying to get around seven two two whatever. Uh, Ruber, yeah. How good is Furphy? Is he going to be able to play this year? Is he going to be able to help him? I don't think he's going to play a lot just because they're so deep. Like they have seven guys. You know what I mean? Like you got seven right there in Kansas. He And plus you have whatever of Parker Brown and Zach Clements, like whoever ends up uh, being, being the guy there, right? Like it'll be one of the two, I would imagine ends up being the backup big. And I kind of lean toward Parker Brown right now because people kind of don't realize, like you probably, you watched a decent amount of Pajemski last year. Like Parker Brown was pretty good. Yeah, that Santa Clara. He, he stood like, out. Okay, that brings up another. I, I, I got to ask you this because, yeah, I watched Pajimski and and Brown would Brown would catch my attention, which isn't something that always happens. I have a hard time watching more than one prospect at a time. Do, do you struggle? <laughs> if I'm if I'm going to watch Brandon Pajimski, you better really do something for me to catch your attention in any other yeah. facet because I'm watching Pajimski off the ball, trailing in transit. Yeah. 
The ball may be up here, Sam. If Pajimski is trailing at half court, I want to see if he's sprinting, where he's relocating to, etc. Do you have some of those same struggles trying to watch two or three, a team full of prospects is what I should say. It's so funny you ask that because I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday. He asked me about a player. Um, he asked me about Cam Carr at Link Academy because we were talking I about like, Elliot I like I like Cam Carr, man. And I was like, you know what? Like, you know, he's like the wing, right? Or he's like six, seven or whatever. Yeah. And like, he can kind of shoot. Like, I, I understand like who he is, but honestly, like I need to watch way more. Yeah. Because I've watched a good amount of Link because I really dove deep into Elliot before the mock came out. Right. And I find that I still don't do it well for high school players. Cause I don't watch enough of these guys at high school. Like you, I, I don't know how much you watch of high school, but like I, I watch, I've just started. Yeah. Yeah. Like I watch a decent amount of the guys that like, I'm really trying to get a handle on. Um, and then there are some times where I will do like just a general scouting game where like, sure. I want to see who pops. Right. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I'll just be like, okay, like I'll, you know, going back and watching like each one teach one games where like it was Sensabaugh and Dylan Mitchell and Taylor Hendricks. And I was like, uh, or, yeah, yeah, it was those three. And I was like, well, I kind of think Sensabaugh is like the interesting one here, uh, to be honest. So trying to, there are times where I will do that and I'll keep more of a broad base. But like, if I'm watching for somebody specifically, I will, if I haven't seen them a lot previously, I can't, it's hard. It's really hard. Yes. Exactly what yep. you're saying. If it's somebody that I've seen like five or six times now, and like I understand what their game is. And I understand just like generally what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish, what I'm trying to like, what I'm trying to figure out, because at that point I'm trying to narrow down on like specific aspects of like the scouting side. Uh, Okay. When they do, you know, this coming off of a ball screen, how are they engaging that backside tagging defender? So like, I'm watching like for more specific things at that point. And then I feel like I can kind of like, go a little bit wider lens and try and see what's going on in general. And then also like if I'm watching a team like Kentucky, which has like four prospects, it's a lot of rewinding. It's a lot of like, okay, I'm watching for DJ Wagner. Okay. Stop. Rewind. Okay. I want to see what Justin Edwards is doing here. Okay. Stop. Rewind. You know, et cetera. Right. So that's kind of how I, the process for me. Well, no, that's really interesting because I watched link to watch Cameron Carr for something I was doing. (laughs) And I didn't really, Elliot didn't really, Elliot stood out to me actually whenever I was watching film on Layden Blocker and I was like, oh my gosh, this dude on the other team is just really, really good. (laughs) You know what else I struggle with at times? I don't like scouting games in person quite as much. One, like I love summer league. I got to meet you in person for the first time, which was awesome, but I barely watch any basketball at summer league. Oh, that's a totally different deal. Yeah. Like summer league, there's just no, but also like Pistons games. I got to sit on the baseline and I didn't like the angle. I I didn't feel like I could evaluate the game the way I wanted to. Like if I truly want to scout a game, which I think I'll go do some of this year, I'm going to want seats. I want like center court a little bit higher, you know, like the video essentially. That's right. That's what you want. You, the way that I, when I go to games, I want to get close in the like, uh, in warmups. Yes. And kind of see a little bit more specifics about like shooting yep. a lot of the time. But like for games, if I'm scouting games, like 100%, like I want to be a little bit further back. I want to be um, at least like six or seven rows deep. And I want to be as close to center court as I can be. I'm with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, 
That's Elliot Cadeau. I really like Elliot Cadeau. I think he's an awesome player. I just want to see a little bit more about how the North Carolina situation is going to work itself out. You're up. You're up with number three. Yeah, I'm going to go Dylan Jones just in case we happen to run out of time. I want to make sure we get to talk about my guy, Dylan Jones. Weber yeah. State, 6'5", 6'6". It, it doesn't matter. This kid, got, go watch it. He literally does everything for Weber State. And I don't care that it does matter mm-hmm. that it's a big sky. At the end of the day, it does matter, Sam. But it's still Division One basketball. He would yeah. guard the other team's best players. He would handle – he literally is running ball screen offense. He's scoring, yeah. getting to the for, free throw. For people, for people who don't know, the way that Weber State's offense would typically work, they'd have like a guard bring the ball up the court, and then right as soon as Dylan Jones crossed half court, they'd give the ball to Dylan Jones, like in the center of the court every time. Or like Dylan would grab and go and like do stuff like that. But like it, it is – Bryce is not exaggerating when he says like literally Dylan Jones is running the offense for Weber. And oh, by the way – he went to Hoop Summit and was playing for the Portland Generals there. Yep. He was basically the point guard for the Portland Generals with like a team of high level, like five star recruits and like other guards, like actual guards that play Division One basketball, like at Portland and places like that. I, I was just so happy for Dylan because of how the pre-draft process went for him. So Sam brought it up. He went to Hoop Summit, played on the Portland Generals, and then all of a sudden, you know, mainstream NBA draft media started tweeting about him. And yep. then he he decided to enter. He's already graduated from Weber State. He has his degree. He had a three-point age. Like, this kid is really smart, a great kid, and went through the pre-draft process, got into the G League Combine, Played really well, turned heads again, got invited to the actual NBA draft combine. And, you know, a lot of people thought he was going to stay in and maybe get drafted or at least a two-way. And this Dylan is a very educated young man. He reads the room and he bet on himself a little bit. He said, hey, I'm going to go back. I'm going to start the season with some momentum (laughs) where nobody was talking about Dylan Jones 12 months ago. Not as an NBA draft prospect anyway. And now he's going to enter the year with some of that momentum. He's going to crush it, have a great year, and hopefully propel himself even higher than where he would have got drafted. I think he would be on an NBA roster right now, in my opinion, Sam. Maybe it would be. Uh, yeah, I think, he, I think he'd be on a two-way right now. Yeah. I do. Yeah, And so this kid, he, and here's the thing. He's better defensively than maybe what some of the film would show last year because the usage was just insane offensively. Yeah. And he was one of the best defensive rebounders in the country as well. And so the defense did take a little bit of a toll because he couldn't afford to get in foul trouble. He was playing 40 minutes a night almost every night guarding the other team's best player and doing all of this offensively. I'm just – I, I want to ask you this. Is it a little concerning that maybe we haven't seen him play off the ball – because I don't know that he's going to get this just like on ball usage role that he gets at Weber State would have been better to see or this year would it be nice to see him get a little bit of that at least yeah like you bring up like played every minute like his last game of the year this is not an exaggeration they went to double overtime with Montana or Montana State or something he played 50 minutes consecutively running every action like it was bonkers he was great in the game too like he didn't shoot well at all because his legs were literally like he was like the walking dead at that point but like every miss is short i mean and so i know dylan a little bit and i've told like dylan you have to stop missing short you have to stop missing short but it's it's just and he does have to work on his conditioning a little bit as well and he knows that but yeah yeah, i mean i 
I get excited about him again because he's one of my guys in this last year's draft and this draft, but it's because he really is good. And I don't think I'm exaggerating some of the stuff I'm saying, even though I'm saying it with such energy. No, like he, you know, averaged 11 rebounds a game last year. He averaged what, like 15, 16 points, like really, really effective player. He was like more of a curiosity for me before I got to hoop summit where like, I knew he was like, I watched that game, like the 50 minute double overtime game live, like um, a savage but like it's he's a really really you can see the feel for the game immediately yes you can see the length with him immediately like he has a seven foot wingspan at six foot five or so and he's just it's the feel mixed with the length mixed with everything that he has uh with the processing ability and the way he attacks the basket and the physicality but it's not like he is He's not a bully at that level. He's doing it yeah, yeah, yeah. in a skill-based way and like a feel-based way. You know, you, you brought up the idea of like, do I think he should have like stayed in or not stayed in? Honestly, like, so I, I know, like I, from what I understand, like I've asked around in terms of it. Cause like, obviously, you know, college coaches are asking me like, is this kid going to transfer and everything? And from what I gather, he's just like an incredibly loyal, like human he's being. Super loyal. Yep. Yeah, like, Great and that, honestly, like, that's kind of what, you know, NBA teams love first and foremost. But, like, uh, I think that a transfer probably would have been the more apt strategy. Like, if I'm if I'm trying to maximize Dylan Jones's draft stock, which is not always the, um, the, the main priority for everyone involved, right? Like, Dylan Jones's main priority might be, okay, I want to play in the NBA, but also I want to help Weber State get to the NCAA tournament. There are a number of different priorities that everyone can have in this process, and I get that. If I was purely advising him on maximizing his draft stock, I would have said go back to school and transfer to a bigger school. Yeah. Um, that, that would have been my that would have been my idea yeah i mean the thing with dylan is i I do i think he wants to be the guy you know damien obviously came out of weber and he wants to be the next one and he's gonna say why not me why can't i be the guy that and and there's something endearing i think he crushed interviews in the pre-draft process from what i've you know like he just interviewed really well with those things because he has this booming personality and here's the other thing he ain't doing it for the money uh, th- this is no secret. You guys can <laughs> all assume that yeah. Weber State's NIL money. He could have transferred to, I'm not saying Kansas would have taken X him. X number what, of schools. X yeah. number of schools where the NIL just guarantees are insanely different than what he's getting at Weber. And he just says, I want to be that dude. I, I want to read this real quick. This was a tweet I sent out yeah. early. Via Cerebro Sports, this is where I got the data at the time, D1 players since 2002 to average 15.5 points, 10 rebounds, 3.8 assists, and 35% from three, Dylan Jones, Draymond Green. Now, this wasn't the end of the season. This was during the season. I think the three-point percentage actually dipped a little bit after that. But it just – I'm not saying he's the Draymond Green type of – archetype of player i'm just saying like this dude was putting up numbers and then you made a really good point he is like strong built well but he doesn't bully people all the time there's like finesse to his game and some wiggle and some some shake um that's really encouraging and exciting as well yeah i really really like dylan jones the the thing with dylan staying at weber it's not um he's just not going to be able to answer some specific questions that NBA sure. teams have yep. um, in terms of off ball ability, in terms of shooting, cause he's going to be responsible for so much uh, of the offense. Like Dylan Jones is not going to shoot 40% from three this year uh, 
because the shot distribution is not going to allow him to do that. Right. It's not that he's not going to be a good shooter. You know, he might be a really good shooter this year and given how much he's in the gym from what I've been told, it's the, the shot distribution is just not going to allow that. There, there are just like specific questions that he, NBA teams are going to have still going into the pre-draft process next year. Yep. And that's okay. At the end of the day, the goal for a kid like Dylan Jones, in my opinion, is not getting drafted as high as humanly possible. It's sticking in the NBA. Yep. Like it's preparing yourself and positioning yourself best to be the kind of player that sticks in the NBA, uh, you know, coming from Weber State, coming from a smaller school, having a frankly non-traditional style of play yeah. But at this current point. Doing the things that you can do best to position yourself, I think, is the critical aspect. And, you know, whether or not he can answer those questions at all, it's it matters, but it doesn't like for, for his draft stock. It matters. But for his career, it doesn't. Yeah. And just real quick, 81 percent from the free throw line on six attempts this last year. So for those people that believe in the free throw percentage being a better indicator for NBA three point shooting the last two yeah. years, he's been 80 percent or better yeah. on no, real touch. He's real yeah. touch. Yeah. His yeah. floater yeah. game is nice. I love his floater game. So, yeah. Okay, let's talk about Trey Alexander. Yep. Uh, I love Trey Alexander so much. <laughs> I love everything about that dude. Why didn't he, he stay is, in the draft, Sam? What happened? He didn't get the guarantees he wanted. I just didn't have the first round. He, he wants to go in the first round and didn't have it. I would have had him in the top 35. Like it would have been, I, I didn't like finalize a ranking for him because I kind of thought it was going the way of going back to Creighton, but I, I felt confident saying he would have been a top 35 guy for me. For sure. He is somewhere between six foot four and six foot five. He has some ball skills that allow him to play at point more of a combo though, more of like a, frankly, probably if you, if there's a one, two positional spectrum in terms of point guard shooting guard, he does probably, he's probably like 65% more toward the two spectrum. He's a 1.65. He's a, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. I think that's a really good way to put it. He's like a 1.65. Uh, he is, a guy that can really shoot can play off the ball uh, at a really high level. Now that was always the question after his freshman year was like, okay, wh- what do we think about Trey Jones or Trey Alexander playing off the ball? Well, we don't, we, we, we know now that he's going to be able to shoot 41% from three playing next to a guy like Ryan Nemhard that played on the ball. Most of the time this year, I'm assuming that he's going to play more on the ball. Uh, Part of that is that they got Stephen Ashworth. Uh, Ryan Emhart transferred to Gonzaga. They bring in Stephen Ashworth. Stephen Ashworth is one of the best shooters, point blank, period, in college basketball. He yep. is a sniper from distance. So they're going to want to run him off of screens. Greg McDermott is one of the best coaches in college basketball, cultivating and creating really good off-ball movement uh, and really well-spaced offense. Uh, to be able to get guys shots. And I'm sure they're going to want want to run Stephen Ashworth off of a lot of actions. The good news is they have a guy in Trey Alexander who can play on the ball enough to allow him to do that. I would love to see Trey Alexander be able to play uh, a little bit more point this year, showcase a little bit more of the passing. I think he's a really good decision maker. I think that, you know, you look at the assist to turnover ratio, it was like 1.7 to 1 last year. But I think he has more capacity in terms of his passing and decision-making and uh, vision in general than what we've seen previously. Uh, you know, as a freshman, he shot 28% from three, but shot 82% from the line. You could see that there was a lot there uh, in terms of the actual touch game. The final thing I will bring up with Trey Alexander is his defense. This dude 
is a monster on defense at one, against ones and twos. And he's good. He's strong enough to deal with threes. He's not going to be great there necessarily, but he is a monster on ones and twos. Uh, at the point of attack, being able to t- uh, chase off of screens, he is he's a fantastic, fantastic defender as well. It's just a very complete game. That's why I like him, and that's why I think he's going to be a first-round pick. Yeah, maybe this is a guy I'll learn a lesson on, but he just seems like the perfect combo guard because there's enough size. He can really play, as you outlined. Here was interesting. I I went and looked at the, well, three-point shooting first. Not only did he jump 13%, Sam, it was on almost three more attempts per game. So it's one thing to jump in percentage. It's another thing to do it while you increase attempts. But these synergy play types, 30% as a pick-and-roll handler and 30% spot ups so to me that's a guy that is getting that you know like we said kind of half and half and he was very good in one excellent in the other 45 percent on catch and shoot threes 36 percent on dribble threes almost 60 percent in the half court on layups just a guy all the you watch it and i he was the creighton player that always kind of impressed me the most when i watched the games and then you look at the numbers and the numbers kind of back that up a team that we thought might have four or five nba guys i mean i don't know what shireman's gonna end up doing kaluma's stock as i hate to say this about a kid but has kind of plummeted from where it was to k-state might revitalize that right i mean i've never for what it's worth i i I got it with i i think i kind of jumped on the train with other people with Kaluma, uh, partially because I really like the Creighton offense and thought that it would really work. Uh, I've never bought the feel though, unfortunately, was was so, always my worry with him. There's a real possibility that Trey's the only first round pick out of those five guys from last year. Yeah, I assume Cockbrenner's a pro at some point, but probably not a first round pick. Probably right. Yeah. I, look, I mean, if he comes out and I think Kalkbrenner can shoot, okay. like I truly think Ryan Kalkbrenner can shoot. Okay. And I think it's like a confidence thing for him where like he needs to just let it fly. If he comes out and shoots 36% on three, three point attempts per game, all bets are off with Ryan Kalkbrenner, given how good of a rim protector he is. Yeah. I think it's much more likely he goes in the second round though. Okay. So I guess my overall point was we had these, f- you know, five guys or whatever, you know, this Creighton team, and it was such a weird start to the year for them anyway. But Trey, I think, is the cream of the crop with with them, and, and that's where I'm at with it. Right. So yeah. I, I really like it. And again, maybe I get burned. Maybe this is one of those six four, six five combo-y guards that ends up not finding a role, and I, I learn a lesson. But I, I just – if I'm going to learn a lesson on a six five combo guard, it's going to be Trey Alexander, and I'm going to feel okay, you know, I'll hold up my own receipt on missing on Trey Alexander if that's what happens. That's kind of how I feel on it too. I, I think he can really play. I think he can really, really play. I think he knows how to play. I think he has uh, just he has enough creativity to where I think he can play enough on the ball to be a combo in the NBA as opposed to just a position lock two. And that's kind of where I sit on it. And I'm excited to see if he plays more on the ball this season. Bryce, your final guy. All right, I'm trying to choose between two, but I'm going to go, like, you know this. Like, I'd probably watch more of, like, guys outside of the top whatever than in the top ten. Yeah. I want to talk about Desmond Claude. 6'5", sophomore guard at Xavier. Yeah. Another one of my guys. I think he's a big-time defender, Sam. And what I'm interested in, why I think Desmond can surprise people this year is, 
all of those Xavier dudes graduated. They're all gone. And there's a real chance that Desmond is the dude offensively. And so if he does what he did defensively last year and he shot it well towards the end of the year and he has a little bit of game handling the ball, pick and roll, playing with pace, he's a little more bouncy than what you might expect. I think there's a chance he could really – I'm not saying like explode into the lottery or something like that, but I think Desmond Claude could be a name that people know by Christmas as a real NBA draft prospect. No, I think that's absolutely right. I think he absolutely could be that guy. I will tell you as well, I've heard from some Big East coaches that they have heard similarly. Really? That he looks really good right now, apparently. Um, people at Xavier are very, very excited about what he is doing right now. Uh Interesting transfer portal for them because they bring in yeah. Davion McKnight and Quincy Oliveri. Yeah. Uh, two guys that are like high level scorers, at the mid major level, but they are more scoring guards. And what I'm most interested in is Dez's size being that six foot five guard could allow all three of them to play together in, in a way that lets Xavier get its best talent on the court. Uh, the thing for him is going to be, can he handle the primary playmaking load? Yep. Uh, obviously, you know, having a guy like Oliveri there who was at Rice and like is a high level scorer and can play on the ball a bit, it will take the pressure off of him, but he needs to be able also to play more of a distribution role. I think yep. than what we saw at Xavier last year he needs to be able to make the high level passing reads consistently. Agreed. You see the flashes of it. I don't know. Again, like it's one of those things where I don't know how good he is at it yet because it's flashes. It's not consistent. Yeah. Right. And there's some flashes that were concerning where. Oh, the decision making like in the past, like the, oh my God, the turnovers were like. There was like a Spain, there was like a Spain pick and roll where he just threw the law because, you know, he kind of had predetermined it or whatever. And so there, there is improvement to be made. And again, the shot has to continue to um, be consistent and prove that kind of what he did down the stretch. I think it was like 38% over his last 13 games or 11 games or something like that. Uh, Those numbers might not be exactly right, but I think that's what I had. He has to be able to prove that as well. I just, he has real, I love watching him. I really fall in love, Sam, with guys who have like change of pace and can really like just start and stop and have suddenness and, have really good hesitation moves, stuff like that. And I think Dez plays with that offensively. And then again, I don't want to overlook a guy who I think is very good defensively as well. And that's going to be part of this overall NBA draft stock is, oh, he's handling the ball, he's doing these things, and he's guarding the other team's best perimeter player while he's doing that. Yeah. It's really, really interesting to watch just generally what the role is going to be. I don't, I don't understand what the role is for yeah. him yet. Like, is it that primary point guard? It might be based off of like the feedback I'm getting uh, on how good he looks. It truly might be that like it, he might be the guy. And then they have McKnight, you know, as the floor spacer, they have all of areas like the combo guard and they make it work. Um, but look, you're six foot five and you're a point and you can handle the ball. Like I, I went back and like watched like a little bit of like the high school stuff that I could, find okay you know it's a little bit harder to find it with him like it's it's interesting like what was that because i've only watched freshman year xavier stuff i did yeah like it was 
Yeah, there there is some real interesting pick and roll playmaking flashes. Okay, like at a high, like you can see that this is a guy that could theoretically one day play the point. Uh, the shooting, like I'm I'm worried about the shot maybe a little bit more than you are. Like I, I want to see uh, a lot more with him being able to shoot. He does it. have a very interesting he he yeah his guide hand flicks with the shot, which is which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell if he's like it's almost like he's like thumbing it a little bit. Like yeah. I feel like he might be like thumbing it w- when he does it. I can't, but I can't get like a close enough view yet to tell. Um, but yeah, like you go back and you're like, Oh, well, like there's some actual like point guard flashes here. And I get it with Des. I- I'm excited to see what he becomes because yeah. I think, and I'll be honest, like last year, every year people try and like come to me with guys like way off the radar that could be sure. one and done. Sure. You're, Bryce Sensabaugh's, your Taylor Hendrix's, your Noah Clowney's, like guys that are not in the top 40 pre-draft that end up being one and done. Dez was one of them that I got last year that was okay. like, hey, like, look, if this really goes right, it might really go right. I think we're in the same boat this year where like if it really goes right for him, it might really go right. And he might be like a legit first round pick. Like when I talk to like Big East coaches about like, Xavier the expectation is that they're going to be really like quite underrated comparatively to what like the consensus is where like I probably would rank Providence ahead of them right now I don't think that's like a consensus opinion among Big East coaches I think Big East coaches um probably think the other way based off of what I know and so that's what I probably don't have quite as good a grasp on is how good they are going to be as a team and where that puts them in the Big East hierarchy but if they are good it's probably because Des has made some of these jumps and done the things we're talking about. And I think that's going to hold a lot of weight if it puts them at, you know, wherever in the big East and they're better than what a lot of people think, because there aren't any of the other names there in Colby Jones is gone. Boom is gone. Uh, the the yep. shooter is gone. And so, you know, it's going to be because of Des, he will be the name that kind of carries that. Yeah. Uh, okay, Bryce. We're gonna we're gonna cut this last. No, no I we're yeah, gonna, no, I get it. I get 45. it. <laughs> My uh, wife will oh, appreciate I, that as well. But I will have you on the show, and we will do this again. Maybe you know in a month or yeah, so. That'd be good. We'll do this. We'll do this very soon again. Bryce, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, at Motor City Hoops on Twitter, Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. Um, I write draft stuff at Draft Digest, which is coverage for SI. And then if you are a Pistons fan, um, for whatever reason, listening to this, I know you do have a lot of Pistons fans listening to the podcast. I do. Tim. And so the Pistons Pulse is my podcast with my co-host Amari Sankofa the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press brought to you by the Detroit Free Press and Sam it is a open invitation for you to join <laughs> the Pistons Pulse literally anytime you have some time yeah. we would love we'll to do have it. you We'll do it we'll do it for sure cuz Amari is the best too Amari with Amari awesome. Yeah great guy. I, I know yes we he is it. Uh yeah we'll do it at some point you know probably before the season we'll do yes. it before the season That'd be awesome Um yeah this has been the Game 3 podcast Please rate, review, subscribe to everything you can to support the show. I am working on like a bigger data project right now with good friend of the program, CJ Moore. And we uh, are kind of doing something that I don't totally want to share yet, but it's really fun, really exciting. Uh, We will share all of that with you whenever we get a chance to share it with you. Um, Yeah, that's all I've got. I don't know how much writing I'll have on the website next week. Could be... Something could not. We're kind of working through a top 25 for college basketball right now as well. We will see where that goes. But until next time. 